We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the show. IB Nation Sports Talk is up and rolling tonight, along with Vince D'Addario. I'm Sean Steyers on what I'm sure will be a very peaceful yeah. IB Nation Sports Talk show tonight. Absolutely. <laughs> right? It's hey, going to be peaceful for you and me. Before we go anywhere. <gasps> I haven't gotten mine yet. Our guys, Salty Virginia Peanuts, showed up on campus Saturday. I was not there, but he gave Brian this can of nuts to give to me. So thank you, Salty. He says he's got one for me, too, and I have yet to see my can of nuts, and I'm kind of Well, he was just it. being nice. He made yeah. sure I got mine. <laughs> Figures. I mean, I was sitting right next to him. I don't know why you got it and I didn't. I don't know oh, how that Brian's, worked. Now, that's interesting. That's Maybe it was because I showed up, you know, more than 30 seconds before kickoff. Wow. <laughs> and yeah. then blocked my chair in all night. <laughs> Something's... That's going to change next t- next week. By the way, we're if 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 we're in exactly the same well, spot, someone's moving to the left a little bit because I'm I'm playing over though they're playing bumper cars against well, the wall in your yeah. chair. It didn't. So. Well, it didn't help that the chairs that we sit in have like six legs, and so like they kept like knacking into each other, and you couldn't do like the four leg thing or like turn it at an angle, you know, so that you didn't hit legs. Like it was a problem. But I haven't even told you this yet. I will not be in attendance at the UNLV game. So oh, you're going to have that. a whole spot available to you. I am going to go to the semi-state final four game for my son. Nice. Down in Kokomo. Way I down in, way down in Kokomo. And because uh, that's a great song. Um, but I'm going to go there. And so I will do the pregame show with you. And then I'm going to hop in the car and I'm going to go down to Kokomo. So <laughs> <laughs> Here's a guy who's way off. Thomas wants to know how tall Vince is. He's guessing six foot three. I wish. Jeez. <laughs> if you stack three, Vince and I on top of each other, we might be six foot three. Might be a little <laughs> more than six three, I guess. But <laughs> you're off by let's see, three, four, four, seven inches. I would say. Right. Um, yeah. But uh, it's okay. I feel. Yeah. I feel six three today. Vince is going to be on upon further review is coming up yes. at eight o'clock tonight. So we need to make sure and get this show in before eight <laughs> along with Brian. Yes. And this is going to, I'm interested to see where this goes. We've, you know, we've got some comments coming in and I've got a, you know, one or two start up and we'll get to them. But I mean, we, we know the details at this point, right? Three game winning streak is snapped. 
You lose 16 to 14 to Stanford, a Stanford team that had lost 11 consecutive games to Power Five conference teams. 10 straight Pac 12 games they have lost. Of course, Notre Dame is not a Pac 12 team. That 11th was Notre Dame at the end of last season. Right. Colgate is their only win this year. Notre Dame is favored by 16 and a half going in. They're now one and two as double digit favorites this year with losses to Marshall and Stanford, of course. And by the way, they had won 36 straight such games prior to this season as double digit favorites. But yet another another <laughs> long streak that is uh, a part of the history books now. Yeah. A lot of things got snapped uh, in a good way for Stanford, in a bad way for Notre Dame. And there's really not a lot of positive to take out of that game. And you're going to hear more of the X's and O type stuff tonight at 8 o'clock. But you will hear, uh, you know, we're going to talk, we're going to dive into a lot of stuff tonight. But there's just, as I was re-watching the film yesterday and today, you know, there were a few bright spots. Because obviously there's there are bright spots in an entire game. There are singular plays that were bright spots right and so it's like okay we can pull this we could pull this we could pull this unfortunately the negative outweighed the positive if you're a Notre Dame person and you're watching the film based on from a Notre Dame perspective it was just we're seeing a lot of the same mistakes being made over and over again that's part of the problem and again tune in tonight at eight o'clock and I'll go into more detail on that from an X's and O's standpoint but we're also seeing a lot of the same mistakes being made at the head coach level and the coordinator level, which is a big problem. And I know that's kind of what we're going to jump into here on this show. So a lot of problems, a lot of things to talk about, Sean, that's for sure. Yeah. And we're going to get into the whole play calling versus execution. If you love drinking coffee every morning, you have to check out trade coffee. Trade makes it super easy to get the best coffee delivered fresh from the finest local roasters around the country. Trade Coffee is a coffee subscription service that makes it so simple for you to discover new coffees and make your best cup of coffee at home every day. No fancy equipment required. Trade partners with the nation's top-rated independent roasters to send you coffee that they know you'll love, fresh to your home and on your preferred schedule. And you get to support small local businesses, which is a win-win. Whether you already know what you like or are new to specialty coffee and need some help, Trade makes it easy and convenient to discover new coffees. They'll send you ground coffee or whole beans for however you make coffee at home. My wife likes a dark roast with full flavor, and every brand we've tried has lived up to the billing. Whether it's the Big City Blend from Joe's Coffee, the Black Velvet from Atomic Coffee Roasters, or the Holmes Blend from Sparrows, every cup has not only had a pleasing aroma while brewing, but also a rich, full taste. So whether you're just getting started or a coffee aficionado looking to discover something new, Trade guarantees you'll love your first bag or they'll send you a new one for free. Upgrade your coffee today with Trade Coffee and let them take the guesswork out of finding your perfect cup. Right now, Trade is offering our listeners a total of $30 off your subscription plus free shipping at drinktrade.com slash irish. That's drinktrade.com slash Irish for $30 off your subscription to the best coffees in the country. That's drinktrade.com slash Irish. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I just want to set this show up with this, Vince. This is what I call a red wedding game. And I know that you weren't a Game of Thrones guy. Because you thought that it was all about dragons and little people, and, you know, <laughs> whatever. Just shows that you know that you never gave it a shot. I did you not. Know, that's never even Game of Thrones. Never even watched a single episode. Never gave it a shot. Yes, because it was really about power and mm. leadership, and mm. you know, a lot of other things in between. But ultimately, the show was about who is going to you know be the ultimate one in control at the end of the show. And of course, they threw us a curveball at the end as well. I'm not going to give any spoilers here, but the Red Wedding episode is arguably the most infamous episode in the history of Game of Thrones. And the gist of the whole thing is there's this guy who thinks that he is, you know, like he's building his army and he thinks he's going to go like he's going to be the king, basically. Right. And so, you know, they're marrying someone from his family to someone from this other guy's family. They go to this other guy's castle and there's this big wedding and. You know, there's a big party and wine and food and drinking and ah, la, 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 you know, and harps are playing and all this great stuff, mandolins. And the next thing you know, crossbows are out, throats are slit, there's blood everywhere. You know, they kill the guy who would be king, all of his family, hence Red Wedding. And it's it was like nobody saw it coming, a major plot twist that nobody saw coming. And that's what this kind of game is to me, because, you know. Notre Dame's riding high. They've got a three-game winning streak. Things are looking up. The offense, you know, is is coming into form. You're winning these games with a second-string quarterback who'd been playing really well, you know, the yes, last yeah. game and a half, right? Yeah, so then all of a sudden, Stanford comes to town, a tomato can that you were just supposed to pound into the ground, but instead, you're the one who takes the pounding, you know, and – the defense somehow only gives up 16 points, but still doesn't look great. Pine is sailing passes all over the place. He's obviously locked in on Michael Mayer too much, all these different things. So now they're three and three, and this team is much more reminiscent of a 2016 Notre Dame team than any from yep. the last five years. And so my question as we get this thing started tonight, Vince, is who is to blame for this debacle of a loss? I mean, I think there's plenty of blame to go around, to be honest with you. I mean, if you're the head coach of the football team, the blame has to start with you. I mean, there's no two ways about it. I, I am a big Marcus Freeman fan. I think he's a dynamic recruiter. I think he's a, a, a breath of fresh air. I think all of those things. I think he's clearly learning on the job. Right. And I didn't want to fully believe all of that, right? The, the, you know, the, well, he's never been head coach. That's going to matter kind of a thing. 
And I, you know, it's clearly true because there were too many blank stares for me during that game. And I know we're going to get into demeanor on the sideline later, but so it has to start there, right? It also has to go to Tommy Reese and everybody in the chat obviously agrees with me on that. Tommy Reese. Yes, there's, a, there's an overwhelming Tommy Reese sentiment. And, Let's, and, <laughs> and I get it. He deserves I, a lot of it. I and get let me, it. Let me just say this as well, though. None of us are advocating for somebody getting fired right now. No, not at all. Because I think Tommy is a smart guy. Super smart. Maybe too smart for his own good. There it is. Time. To me, it's like, how is the offensive coordinator calling plays the last two games specifically? Because even against BYU, when they won, there were points left on the field. And just the plan of attack was odd at times. I agree. And it was even more odd because it was virtually the same game plan that they had BYU in the Stanford game. How is the guy calling plays for this team, the same guy who was calling plays in the Fiesta Bowl that everyone was like, oh, my gosh, we've got to find some balance. Right. We've got to be able to close. You know, it's like putting up all these points, throwing the yeah. ball all over the place. And this is the kind of offense that we see. Now, granted, you've got a – you know, you had a veteran – fifth-year quarterback versus you've got this guy starting, what, his fourth career game at the – was it four? No, three – third career game at this point. But – no, it was fourth. But you know what I'm saying. It's, how is this the same guy? You know, that's that's my biggest question. How is how right. is it the same guy who's calling plays? Right. right. And, and I think the you – know, we all know, and I know this for a fact, that he is – wicked smart when it comes to x's and o's he's wicked smart there's no doubt about it the problem is he doesn't from my vantage point he doesn't adapt his really smart x's and o's to the parts that he has the parts that he is dealing with and it has become a bit of an epidemic the last couple of games whereas the first couple of games with drew pine I thought the, the game plan was great and he adapted to what who Drew Pine was, et cetera, et cetera. Right. I don't think he adapted very well to who Tyler Buckner was when he was in the game the first couple of games. I don't right. think he did. Agreed. And that was alarming to me. Because I think we both agree that Tyler Buckner could have been running the same offense that Drew Pine is running. But for some Absolutely. reason, it was like a completely different kind of thing. Right. No, I could not agree more. And the and Brian mentioned this in the post game show, and I think he's pretty right on. The run game game plan for Stanford was identical to the run game game plan of BYU. It wasn't really good against BYU, the game plan part. Now they executed better against BYU, so it looked better, but the actual game plan itself, I don't think, was all that good because the defense for BYU is very similar to the B- defense for Stanford in that they don't go laterally very well. And so you need to stretch them out. You need to make them play sideline to sideline. And Notre Dame yes. ran it between the tackles exactly. in both games. Like the they're banging their Denver head against has them. is big slow guys, yes. right? And so, like, yes. if you are, if you are a, if you're going up against a a, a powerful defense like that, attack the perimeters, just yes. like you were saying. Absolutely. If you have a smaller, quicker team, then you bang between the tackles. You take your strength right at them. Notre Dame literally did the opposite of what you should do. Complete opposite. Trying to run the ball against Stanford Saturday. Right. Terrible. I mean, yeah. 
and how you don't adjust to that at halftime is absolutely beyond me. You know, I, I don't even let's let's pretend for a second that I don't have a problem with the end around call on the goal line. OK, OK, well, we'll, we'll say that that was a good <laughs> pretend call. you don't. We'll, we'll, we'll say that was a good call. OK, the prop. Excuse me. Now, the execution was poor because uh, Michael Mayer got beat across his face. OK, that was terrible. You can't get beat across your face when you need to seal the edge. Right. So he got beat across his face. He ends up throwing the guy to the ground. That stops Jaden Thomas in his tracks and forces him to cut up the field where there's three Stanford guys waiting for him. That's problem number one. Right. Problem number two is you've got one of your slowest wide receivers running that play in the first place. Okay. So those are two offensive coordinator type problems, in my opinion, that prevented that play from being successful from the get go. If I'm running that play, the only guy, the only receiver I'm running it with mm. is Braden Lindsay. Yes. And, and I might have even just put Chris Tyree over there because he's fast enough and in a lower center of gravity to make those kind of cuts that you need if there is some congestion there and let him try. Those are the two guys that I would trust to make that play because they yes. talk about trust quite a yes. bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Those two guys are fast enough to make that play work, right? That is a clear case, in my opinion, of Tommy Reese trying to outsmart everybody and trying to be the smartest guy in the room. That's a major problem for this team right now. It's a major problem. Well, and again, I keep coming back to this. Like Sparks says, run the ball with eight and nine in the box. And that's that's what happens when they go with this heavy 12 and 13 personnel. And how much did we see that Saturday night? Again, right. if you're going to go 12 and 13 personnel, yet you're bringing another guy into the box and – you are also, you know, again, you're then they're running the ball between the tackles yeah. with that. And again, you're going at the strength of their defense with extra men in the box. Right. When and you're that's doing it. And that's the big problem. Somebody mentioned that the offensive line can't move people uh, on, you know, short yarded situations. That's not true. They actually can do that. If they did when, 11 personnel, yes, and just, they would be fine. The problem is you've got 10 guys in the box, you got five offensive linemen. You've got an All-American tight end who doesn't block very well. Those are the guys you've got blocking. That doesn't work, right? That doesn't work. And so you can blame the offensive line, and that's okay. That's fine. But I blame the formation and that when you go yes. 13 personnel, that brings all the defense in there as well. Yes. Spread them out. Their Spread mentality out. is still, you know, like, and we hear Marcus Freeman talking about, we want to be an offensive, defensive line-driven team. That's fine. But that doesn't mean you've got to go 12 personnel and basically, right. you know, literally think you are Stanford from six years ago. Right. A team that you know that was lining up like what, what they were lining up nine guys on the line of scrimmage, a quarterback and a running back and literally just bullying people off the line. That's still not who Notre Dame is right now. But that's who Tommy Reese and Marcus Freeman seem to think they are. That's and they insist. That's they, think. they insist almost yes. to a they fault, well, not almost. Are. To that's a right. fault. They insist it to a fault that that's who they are. This offensive line can be very, very good. They can be, but you have to use them the right way. Yes. They're not using them the right way. You're 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 asking them, you're asking those five guys to block eight. That's just not humanly possible. Okay. Exactly. That's, just, that's not going to work. Well, and, five, sometimes seven, obviously, when they're bringing extra tight ends in. And, but and still, again, seven is still less than eight. And if, you know, there's, there's a ninth guy in there sometimes too. Michael Mayer is a, an all-American tight end, no doubt. He can't block. You need to keep him split out. 
and putting like, him on the line is not working. You know, like in the goal line thing against BYU last week when they got stuffed, there were already eight in the box, and then they motioned a receiver from right to left. He's in the backfield, so they literally brought another guy into the box yes. when they're trying to Why? run against an already stacked box. Why? I just I, – I would love to be in the same room as some of the coaches and just ask them why. Explain it to me. Right. Explain to me your thought process, and I'll just sit back and I will listen to the explanation, and then I get to talk. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I just, I would, I would just love to have that opportunity. Obviously, that will never happen. But it's, it's the fact that, and somebody mentioned it in in the chat, so I'll bring it up. Vigo was very insistent about you know making sure that we know they scored zero We're points. Not in the first anything. What are you anything. We're absolutely right. I mean, Andy's I don't know. talking about the people in the chat, and that's okay. Fine. I was going to say because we're not spinning anything, and somebody there else is said, no spin. You're absolutely right, Vigo. There yes. is no excuse, especially against that defense. They absolutely. had 16 carries for I think 59 yards in the first half. Audric Estime had two carries in the first two. half. And again, like their whole philosophy was let's attack between the tackles. And Audric Estime only had two carries out of that whole thing while they're right. doing it. They're, right. they're asking Chris Tyree to do that rather than Audric Estime. You know, Diggs had a couple of decent runs, but then, That's you know, it's not like, who they are. Get outside a little outside zone. Chris Tyree, you know, get him outside. That's especially against Stanford. Right. You've got these different backs with different skill sets. Use them properly. That's Absolutely. A, one of the biggest issues 100 and somebody said how you know how come we're not blaming marcus freeman well apparently you didn't listen to the beginning of the show because that's how we started we're 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 about to play a marcus freeman soundbite here too so there, there's there Mar- marcus freeman's got plenty of stuff coming up. okay here. fair enough Don't but worry. The, the problem right now and i said this in the post game show and i said it to you guys when we were at halftime and we were trying to figure out what the heck we just witnessed for 30 minutes of football i saw a better prepared better game plan from a high school team on Friday night than I did a division one Notre Dame team on Saturday after or Saturday night. I mean, it was light night and day different. Yeah. It was night and day different. Not they look like a prepared football team. Notre Dame just looked like they were there for the show, which by the way, the light show sucked. So they weren't <laughs> even there for that. That's I, I told you I wasn't going to miss anything when I went to the you bathroom. Didn't. <laughs> fourth quarter came i'm like i'm about to burst i'm out of here i was like well you're gonna miss the light show <laughs> yeah you missed nothing <laughs> all right so marcus freeman after the game saturday night used the word execute 23 different times in his post-game press conference in other words notre dame didn't execute it's all about execution versus play calling, preparation, those kind of things. And so we're going to get into that now because at the press conference today, Freeman was asked about his up and down Jekyll and Hyde offense. And he was asked if having a basically a consistent base to the offense, you know, like, I guess like things you can fall back on, you know, like not having a completely different looking offense from week to week, for example, yeah. like having a consistent base to the offense, it, you know, would, would help this, how important that would be to being able to ultimately succeed offensively. And so now listen closely to what Marcus Freeman is about to say. Here we go. You want to, I don't know which one's good or bad, Jekyll or Hyde, but I want to be the one that's good. You know? um, yeah, there's... You want to be 
good. You want to be efficient. You don't want to be up and down. And you got two different quarterbacks and kind of two schemes you were running with each guy. I really think from the second half of Cal, you didn't say second quarter, but second half of Cal to the end of BYU, we were really, really good. We've done a good job. Not every time do you score, but the efficiency that you have of moving the ball, right, and, and what you feel your execution is, is where you needed it to be and where you want it to be. You go to go to Stanford and you don't execute the way you want to. And so I don't question who we are offense. I don't. You know, I have the utmost confidence in Coach Reese and our offensive staff and what we're doing. We just have to execute better. And I know that gets you guys get tired of me saying that, but it, you go back and you, you say, okay, there's the game plan. You really look at North Carolina and BYU. The game plan wasn't that much different. <laughs> we still had similar philosophies of what we wanted to do, but the, the execution was better. It was. And why? What we got to look at is why was it better in BYU? Why was it better in North Carolina? And why wasn't it efficient? versus Stanford. And that's to me the challenge of saying it's not the play calls, it's not what we're doing, it's why we're not executing what we have to do to fix it. So Vince, there there you heard it. He doesn't question who they are offensively. The game plan was not that different. We just executed it differently. Well, here's the thing. And I I, I was about to sound like a total smart ass, but Marcus, you know, Marcus Freeman still knows more about football than than we do. But there's an opponent that you play every week, too. And not every opponent is the same, right? So if you're going to be adjusting your game plans, we, you know, they might not be a lot different. But they're like the North Carolina game plan looked hell of a lot different than anything we've seen the last couple of weeks that, you know, with all the motions and and you know the the you know misdirections and play actions and doing different stuff. We haven't seen that the last couple of weeks. And you know, again, the game plan that they had Saturday night was the issue. It wasn't about the execution of it. It was because you had a bad game plan and you attacked a team in the wrong way. I think it seems like everyone else can see that, but they they're 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 at the very least putting up, you know, the shield, you know, whether they really believe it or not and protect, you know, protecting either themselves or, you know, he's protecting Tommy Reese or, or whatever it happens to be. But it was, it was, to me, it was a flawed game plan and, and that supersedes the execution. Now there were execution, you know, like if you make, if Drew Pine completes what, maybe three other passes, you know, like the Braden Lindsay pass in the end zone just an easy pitch and catch to a wide you know in a wide open little short post and you know a couple others you hit those okay then you can say yeah well you know we executed enough and and whatever but you know again 16 carries for 59 yards in the first half against a team giving up 207 a game it was not about execution it was about your plan of attack Correct. against that specific opponent and, and look did the players play a perfect game no they didn't right and I'm only going to say this one time, okay? I agree with Marcus Freeman that they did not execute very well. I agree with that. Yeah, that's true. They did not execute very well. They because did again, not. There were there were execution errors. Absolutely, right. there were execution. There, there were execution errors, and and this isn't directed towards you. You know that. No, I know. It, they did not execute well, and if they did execute, 
the game plan that was placed in front of them, they win that game against Stanford. There, are, there is a bigger issue, though. Because, and Marcus Freeman said it himself. The same game plan for North Carolina, BYU, and Stanford. Why? Why do you have the same game plan for all three of those games? That right. is mind-boggling to me. Then, then why even watch the film? Why even watch the film of Stanford and BYU? If you're just gonna have the, if you're just gonna roll out the same game plan over and over and over, then why why are you even paying attention to what the other team is doing? But he also said right after the Cal game, we're gonna have we're you know we're gonna have to have different plans of attack every week. But now three games later yeah, since I, Cal, he's saying, oh, the the game plans weren't that different. So you know, there's there's an inconsistency there and. And that's a problem. I mean, by that's... the way, I was wrong. I actually gave them credit for 12 more yards than they had in the first half. It was 16 carries for 47 yards, 2.9 per carry in the first half against a team that was given up 207 a game. They end up 34 carries for 150 yards, 4.4 per carry. Like in the end, the numbers look decent, but if you take away Logan Diggs and Audric Estime's two longest runs, which I think added up to 48 yards, you're still down there averaging around three point you know, seven, 3.9 yeah. yards per carry, something like that. So play in and play out. They were not getting it done. You know, right. I do, I grew, agree. You know, Marcus Freeman said today, if we run the ball, it gives Drew, Drew Pine a better chance to be successful. Completely agree with that. But he keeps wanting to put it on execution. Yeah. But it's not about the execution. Right. It is a flawed game plan Correct. that leads to poor execution. And that's the big picture problem, right? The right. little picture is they did not execute. Drew Pine should have hit different guys. Certain things should have gone a different way. He shouldn't have been forcing the ball to Michael Mayer. He was targeted 10 times. He caught five balls. It's a right. huge problem. That's that's kind of like if you're in a court of law, that's asked and answered. Like that's understood. Both parties agree on it. No doubt. The bigger problem is the game plan or lack thereof based on the team that you're playing. Huge problem. And we're obviously we're talking offense here. We can talk about defense we'll later. We'll get to some defense in a but, minute. The there's still, there's the, plenty there too. There's there's plenty there, but the bottom line is they allowed Stanford to score a touchdown and three field goals. If you can't score more than that, that's a you problem. You know what I mean? I mean, th this is the Stanford team again, and we beat this to death. You know, their only win is against Colgate, right? And they haven't beaten an FBS team since October 2nd. So there's of no last year. Of last year. <laughs> that's correct. Of last year, of 2021. So there, there's a multitude of issues here. Yes, the defense has its issues, but they only allowed 16 points. I predicted that Stanford's going to score 17, right? The, pro I the think other I problem, had him for 20, yeah, something like that. That's right. So. so expected. I mean, that's expected. You hold a team to 16 points, you should win, especially yes. that team. Yes, absolutely, no question. And, and this, so you know, that's the bigger problem. Because one of the things that I keep hearing in defense of Marcus Freeman, and look, I'm not anti-Marcus Freeman by any means. I think we all want to see him succeed. And we yeah. thought that he was, you know, just like everyone, you know, he's obviously a great recruiter. I think we've said here before, we knew there would be growing pains. Sure. But what we are seeing, there are, there are red flags all yeah. over the place because yeah. of, you know, the, the lack of, I mean, just look at the fact that on the very first play of the game, you, you've got a false start. The, the play clock is winding yes. down. The very first play of the game, you've got the football in your home stadium, and you, you have another false start. And, and that's a script. Really I mean, was, set the tone for the rest of the night. 
It's a script that you've literally practiced in order from on Thursday, on Friday, and then you get into the game and you don't know how to line up. Like how I don't even understand how that's possible, if I'm being honest. I mean, I've been an offensive coordinator before. I've had a script. We go through the script. At the very least, we just go through it on Thursday. You know those first 10 plays, you know, barring something crazy like you get the ball on the five-yard line or, you know, mm-hmm. going in, something like that, right? They know the script. They know what you're going to do. I, I don't understand how you take a delay a game on the first play of the game, That make, especially at home. I, yes. That, that just makes, that, again, that's a coaching problem. That's not an execution problem. That's a coaching no, that's problem. That's right. And it, 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 it's, it's a lack of preparation of some kind or another. And it's obviously a lack of just basic lack of focus and concentration. But it, this was brought up at the press conference today, too. We haven't seen this. The better opponents they have played on the road, they've played better on the road against yes. better opponents than they have against three inferior opponents at home this season. They've lost two out of three to unranked teams at home. And by the way, I I, I may have said it at the top of the show, Marshall has lost, (laughs) what, three of their four games since beating Notre Dame. And and again, like we've beaten up the Stanford part of this, the fact that they had lost 11 consecutive games against Power 5 teams, that's who they've lost to. So like, you know, there was some kind of back and forth in the chat earlier, and I saw someone, you know, say, you know, da-da-da, Karen, and I thought he was calling someone a Karen Right. Well, it turns out her name is actually Karen. So <laughs> thanks for the comment, Karen. Um, but she says, has anyone considered there's a culture change underway and there's going to be some adjusting? The game was painful to watch, but all eight, but a two point loss to not good team should be wake up call enough. The, the wake up call should have been against Marshall. I mean, right. that's, that's when the wake up that's call right. should have been. And I agree. Look, we, I agree. We with shouldn't Karen. need a wake up. Yeah. Yes. We should need a wake up, another wake up call. I, I look, I agree with Karen. She's absolutely right. There is a culture change underway. No doubt about it. anybody that says Marcus Freeman is the same person as Brian Kelly is, is crazy. I mean, they're not the same person. And it's one of the reasons that everybody was so excited that Marcus Freeman got hired in the first place. Right. Okay. So there is absolutely a culture change to the way they do things from a day-to-day basis. All of it is a change. And I agree with Sean saying that there was going to be some growing pains. What I did not anticipate is that those growing pains were going to equal losses. I thought we would be able to pick apart, you know, game plans and play execution and right. all of these things after wins because Notre Dame's roster is significantly better than all of the teams that they have played except Ohio State. Okay. They should have beaten. All of those teams just based on the roster alone. And that's it. You literally, you know, and we, you know, we were joking, not joking when we were asked the keys last week. What are the keys? And, you know, we said, show up. And I said, well, I I, I remember kind of backed off that a little bit. You know, it was a joke, but at the same time, you have more talent than Stanford. There is no doubting that. Like Notre Dame has at least a half a dozen guys who are going to play in the NFL, and Stanford has maybe a couple. You know, I don't know, maybe a couple of those linemen end up, you know, the quarterback probably will and you know you know what i'm saying there yep. there is more talent from from top to bottom and yep so it comes down to more than just execution because with the talent you have on the roster because the other thing that i that i see you know yeah there is a culture change but like i keep seeing a lot of this you know people wanting to go back to well Dabo didn't win right away nick saban didn't win right away at alabama and you know they rattle off all the you know 
Lou didn't have a good record in his first year. There's a huge difference yes, because no one is bringing up the Ryan Days and the Lincoln Rileys. That's who the comparison is with Marcus Freeman because Marcus Freeman, you, most coaches, when a coaching change is made, you're coming into a bad situation. That's why the coaching change is made. So in that case, there's more than just a culture change. There is culture change, but there's also roster overhaul, you know, all these sure. different things, a brand new, you know, brand new system, all these different things that come into play, you know, coaches and, you know, taking time, getting used to all this different stuff, but you also haven't been winning. There is a good roster here. I don't want to hear about there's no talent on this roster because there's a lot of talent on it. You know, like I said, there are guys who, there are a lot of guys who are going to play in the NFL on this yep. roster right now on both sides of the football. Absolutely. And no doubt. Marcus Freeman inherited a program that had double-digit wins in each of the last five seasons and been to the college football playoff twice in that stretch and just missed the playoffs two other times in that stretch. So this was not a roster overhaul situation. He came into a good situation, which is why we thought that, well, he lacks experience, but you know, all this other consistency, you know, the, the Bayless and the Tommy Reese, and, you know, that was supposed to be a plus sure. all these different things. It, it's a complete, it's an apples to oranges when you're talking about Marcus Freeman compared to coaches like, like Saban and Dabo and whoever else that you want to mention. And I saw, but you know, Harbaugh up at Michigan. Well, it took him a couple of years to get it going. This thing was already going. This was exactly. never a rebuild. This Agreed. was never a rebuild. I know I agree with that completely. It was not a rebuild. That's why we had the expectations that we did. I mean, maybe we were naive to think that it would be as easy as we right. anticipated that it would be. And I'll we take completely were naive about that. I'll, I'll take the blame for that. That's fine. I'll, I'll take the blame for that. I felt like they would be able to kind of pick up where they left off, you know, beating the teams that they're supposed to beat and then being competitive in games that they were not competitive in in the past, right? And I do feel like eventually that will be the case. But changes, I mean, I don't want to say changes have to be made because, again, I'm not going to advocate that anybody gets fired. But changes in mentality need to take place. I mean, I got a story for you, Sean. Okay. So one of the uh, the We're SROs. Of Uncle Vince. I'm ready that's to right, go. baby. So <laughs> one of the SROs at my school, uh, that's the school resource officer, right? Okay. Okay. He came into my office today and we're talking about Notre Dame. And he, of course, is like all the other police officers around here. He works the game, you know, to make extra money, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. And his job was to escort the visiting team from the stadium to the airport. And the plane okay. was late. So they were hanging out at the stadium. Okay. Some of the Stanford players wanted to get their picture taken with touchdown Jesus, right? Totally respectful, great. They just they had never been to Notre Dame before. They were kind of documenting it, whatever. They had a big win. I don't blame them, right? Well, so he's taking their picture for them, and he's doing whatever. The bunch of Notre Dame players walk out, and he didn't tell me who they were, but a bunch of Notre Dame players walked out of the locker room, laughing, joking, giggling. He's like, as soon as I saw, because he's a fan, he's a Notre Dame fan. He's like, as soon as I saw that man, he goes, I was ticked. He's like, they should have been livid. They should they just not be joking and laughing and having a good time after you just got your butt handed to you by all of the above for Stanford, right? right? Everything right. we just talked about. You should not be in a good mood after that. He's like, I'm done. 
He goes, I'm done. If they can't take it seriously, then why should I? And I have to say, I can't say that I blame them. No, and I mean, I guess the other side of that argument is like, you know, we've both seen Fever Pitch. You remember when they, you know, they're at the restaurant and they see the players out and it's like, I think Johnny Damon and Jason Veritek and, you know, like, they're, you know, it's the same thing. They had just lost a playoff game and they're out in a restaurant laughing and they're like, right. well, you know, there, do, there's yeah. always a different mentality when it comes to the fans. But, you know, I, I would say you wouldn't think after losing that kind of game as a group of players, you'd be joking about whatever. At least wait till you get home. Stadium. At least wait yeah. till you get back to the apartment or the dorm room or whatever. Like you're literally exiting the locker room, which should have been a pretty somber place. I'm hoping. And, you know, that's your attitude. And yeah. and A. Murphy makes a good point, and I don't want to get rid of I just want to address Jonathan Kashmirik yeah. here real quick first. He said he's he's absolutely calling for Tommy Reese to be fired, and a lot of people obviously are. That's not sure. happening, though. No, like, I don't, I don't know how quote-unquote protected Tommy Reese is, but that's they're not going to fire the offensive coordinator midseason. I just, right. I don't, I don't see that happening. Especially the manner in which Tommy Reese was retained during right. the coaching change and all of that. It's just, it's right. not going to happen. Everybody needs to be resigned to that fact that it's not going to happen, whether you think it, you want it to happen or not. It's not going to happen. Uh, but somebody said that that's the today's athlete, and there is truth to that. I see it when I was coaching yeah. high school ball. You know, we lost a tough game, and they're joking around on the bus ride home, and I just wanted to punch children, but obviously I can't <laughs> No, that. I mean, I'm right but there. But you know what I mean. Like, I mean, I was, Walmart area has told me before that, you know, the players are never going to care as much as the coaches, for one. You know, because, right. one, the right. coaches rely on it literally for their livelihood. True, know? true. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. But, yeah, it's, um, and it's one of the reasons I stopped coaching football is because I wanted it more than the players did. You know what I mean? And – I, I it was messing with my head. No, I, I hear you. I hear you. I'm completely in that boat. And you want yeah. the player, like you want the players to at least, especially like, you know, after a loss like that, or especially at the end of the season and, and guys who are done playing, you want them to feel something. Right. And the fact that many of them don't, and they're just like, ah, eh, you know, move on. It, it, right. it eats at you and it drives you nuts. Definitely as a coach. And I think it does a lot of fans obviously as well, because a lot of fans invest a lot Absolutely. Into what these guys are doing yeah, on Saturdays. No doubt. So Nick says he's got a super chat. We can't keep protecting Reese. He's been our offensive coordinator for three years and our quarterback coach for six. Just not working out. It's been that long. Has it been six and seasons? That's what I was thinking. The same thing. Has it been six? It hasn't been six yet, has it? I don't think it's been six. But Nick may be right. I, I don't yeah. I don't have it in front of me. Time so we'll, flies. Now, I don't think it's does. been six. because I thought he was the QB coach for two years before he was made six. the OC. Yeah. So I, th I feel like it's one year off, but either way, it's a long point, time. Your, your point is time. your point is well taken, Nick. Okay, yeah. your point is well taken. Right. Um, Matthew, another super chat on execution. Deeper cultural issues afoot with this team. They looked comatose and intellectually constipated wow. from snap one at Notre Dame Stadium again. And I agree. Like they look like a team that was going through the motions a, a lot of the night. Yeah. Saturday night. It was, that was part was of the problem. Very head scratching. That was part of the problem. And Drew Pine looked like he was lost. And it wasn't like Stanford seemed to be doing anything particularly complex. Right. You know, to confuse him. But, you know, he, I, I, maybe lost is the wrong word, but he definitely seemed like a beat behind where he probably usually yeah. you know, because he, he seems like he's making the read, you know, like obviously even against BYU, it worked when he was forcing the ball. To Michael Mayer, 
Well, Stanford had better coverage against Michael Mayer, and Drew Pine still kept trying to force him the yes. ball, sometimes at the sake of, of yes. other open receivers or at least guys with one-on-one -on -one situations. And that was the problem that we talked about last week, right? You can't keep force-feeding Michael Mayer. And we were also making fun of BYU for not having a Michael Mayer plan. <laughs> right, right? we were. Did. And and Stanford did. And you have to be able to come off of Michael Mayer and you have to be able to spread the ball around and hit those throws, right? There were numerous occasions where other wide receivers were running wide open and he was still throwing to Michael Mayer, not on target, right? 10 targets, five catches. He caught everything that went his way that he was able to catch, okay? That's a massive problem. And then when he did come off of him and throw to other, other guys, you know, he overthrew Tobias on a touchdown. He overthrew Lindsey on what would have been a touchdown, right? I mean, huge problem. That's a huge problem. And that the inaccuracy is, I mean, I, it's what I was worried about with Drew Pine to begin with when he first got the job. And he was proving right. me wrong. He was proving me wrong because he was super accurate. And he was doing all these things. But it was a red flag that he was forcing it into Michael Mayer. We talked about it all week. And it became a massive problem in this game massive well, problem. And Marcus Freeman has said himself, you know, when he talks about execution versus preparation, he's talked about the fact you can't just look at the result and say, well, we won. So, you know, and, and well, it worked out on that play. So you disregard it. Like, according to him, like if he was going to go back and look critically at that BYU game, he's got to say, look, Drew, whether it's him or Tommy Reese or whoever it whoever. happens to be, he's got to say, look, this worked this time, but this is not sustainable. For the long haul, you know, like we were right. talking last week, could could Michael Mayer be stopped? Well, Stanford, all it took is one game for him yeah. to stop him, and it wasn't that complicated. And that's that's why you, you know you you've got to get this guy. It, it if he was really going to hold him under that critical lens, they would have had to say, okay, what's what's your plan B? Because when you've when you've got three guys blanketing Michael Mayer, you can't keep throwing him. The ball, and, you know, because also if there are three guys on Michael Mayer, that means that there are at least two other guys who are open someplace. hundred percent. No doubt. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, you're absolutely right. That should have been the coaching. And again, we've talked about it numerous times about how it is easier to coach a team after a win. Well, yes. you, you beat by BYU, right? And that conversation should have been had. Hey, you know, you and Michael had a great game, you know, 11 catches or whatever it was, you know, set all the records. That's awesome. But see when you completed this pass to Michael, look at this guy and how wide open he was for even more yards. Or, you know, look at this guy and how wide open he was for this many yards or or whatever the case may be. Like that should have been the coaching. But I felt, I feel like it was a bunch of butt slaps being like, hey, Great job, guys. Let's go get them this week. And that's that's part of the problem, right. in my opinion. Right. I want to get to I'm trying to say I want to do this one more offensive question. There was a defensive question that I just saw that I want to get here in a second. Mick says, Can someone explain the illegal formation penalty on Notre Dame? Essentially, easy, yeah. 
Mitchell Evans was on the line. He needed to be off the line. No, no, it wasn't Mitchell Evans. It was uh, was it, it was, Tyree? It was Tyree. Tyree's yeah. the one that messed up because yeah. it was Mitchell Evans was off. It, yeah, and Tyree was outside of him, and he was on. He needed to be off for Evans to be eligible. Yeah. So both so uh, both Evans was attached, and so he was on the line of scrimmage. Tyree was on the line of scrimmage. So that means he was covering up Evans. Right. Which means you cannot go out for a pass. You have to stay. Now, you can line up that way. That's fine. There's a local team around here named Mishawaka that does that. <laughs> that did that all the time. Right. They would put both guys on the line of scrimmage. And but they're smart, not going to throw to him. Smart defenses were like, that guy's not eligible. We're not going to cover him. They only cover the guys that are actually eligible, right? Well, uh, Evans was not eligible because he was attached. Michael Mayer was behind him on the wing. That's why I know Evans was correct, right? Because he was on the line of scrimmage, attached to the tackle, and and uh, uh, Michael Mayer was in a wing position. So I know those two guys were right. That means Chris Tyree was wrong. He's supposed to be off the line of scrimmage, and then it would have been fine. Would have been fine, and they would have scored a touchdown there, right? Because both Evans and Tyree were supposed to clear out, and then they threw it to Michael Mayer underneath. It was actually a really well-designed play, but Chris Tyree lined up wrong. Is that a execution problem or is that a coaching problem? Right. I could make an argument for both. It's a preparation problem. That's because, coaching. Because you're going to do what you've practiced doing, right? That's that's coaching to me. Yeah. I You know, if the guys yeah, aren't yeah. lining that, up that's right. That's what I mean. That's what then, I mean by preparation. Yeah. Like the coaches are responsible for the preparation. Yeah. Then, yeah, then they can't be trusted, right? I mean, it's right. but anyway. Yeah. He's in coach speak. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So Ronald wants to know, do you think that some of the mistakes they're making on defense might be the fact that they've had three different defensive coordinators in three years. Curious to see what you think about this, Vince. Un piquito, very small. I mean, there a lot of the issues that are taking place are fundamental issues. And I have a couple of plays that I sent Brian for the upon further review where 
because I was kind of focused on the defense. And so there's some stuff I want to talk about from a linebacker scenario. They're not identifying certain things on time. They're running to things that they should not be running to. But there's a lot of issues there. And I don't feel like that's three different defensive coordinators in three years. I I don't know what it is, but I don't I think, think it's necessarily that. I think the only connection I would make to that is I do think that Clark Lee's system was more simple than the system that they were running now. There was less thinking involved and just the ability more more ability to play. I think that they're especially with the linebackers having an NFL guy as their defensive coordinator and position coach. I think that it, it just seems like there's a lot more on their plate than the last yeah, couple of years. I would agree with that. And I it just feels like they're making silly mistakes. Well and like the third and four early in the game the other night jd bertrand is the only linebacker playing inside it's third and four for stanford and so jd bertrand goes on this blitz that doesn't really go anywhere he just he just goes to his left and like runs into somebody and just kind of stops well in the meantime stanford just runs an easy slant because there's no you know there's just a wide open space there in the middle you know the well, slot runs a slant and that was that's actually one of the plays that I wanted to uh, Brian to show. Okay. So I'll give you a little bit of a sneak peek here on my interpretation nice. of that particular play, because I agree with you that there were so many problems on that particular play, right? So it's third and uh, I think it was third and five uh, officially. And Clarence Lewis is well, that lined was another up. issue. The, you know, there were, there were <laughs> right. Clar- Clarence Lewis is lined <laughs> up off to get all night <laughs> outside, right? He's, he's lined up outside leverage which means he's giving up the inside just based on his alignment alone right that's coaching you you can't line up incorrectly right from the get-go and that's a pre-snap read for the quarterback well uh, he's given us the inside and on that side the linebacker was Maris Leofau he's up on the line of scrimmage he's going right he he's going he's he's going to attack the passer so he vacates that entire side of the field. But also doesn't and, get home. Exactly. In part and, because it's a slant. I guess. And Notre Dame didn't get home a lot, but that's yeah. a different conversation. One sack, three. JD hurries. Bertrand is the is the linebacker. He fires late based on something that he saw. And I don't know what it was because there was no play action. It was a straight drop back and throw for the slant. But he, like you said, he vacates. And so there is literally no second level whatsoever. Now, I don't think JD could stop that because he was the left side linebacker and Maris was the right side linebacker. But from a play design and a play lining up standpoint, they were screwed from the get-go. And all Stanford had to do was throw a simple slant. And what does Stanford do best on offense? Throw the ball. Yeah. They had a veteran quarterback who, by the way, is married, which I didn't even realize until I was watching the copy back. Huh. So he's old enough to be married, and you've got three wide receivers who are all veterans. That's the easiest pitch and catch that they had all day. And it was for an easy first down. So many different things you could have done. Be- just, just an inside leverage by the corner, and that makes that more of a complicated throw. Right. And they didn't even do it. I, I just mind-boggling on some of this stuff. I agree. Another super chat from Tyler missed open tackling, you know, missed tackling in open space. Couldn't stop Stanford on third down. Yep. And that's, that, that's what's weird about the fact that they only gave up 16 points because it seemed like Stan and you know, they Stanford averaged what, like 
what did it end up being? 2.9 yards per carry. It seemed like it was a lot more than that. You know, it, sure. it, it, it seemed like that they were more effective because it's just they converted so many third downs and there was just never a feeling like Notre Dame's defense was really in control all night right. to me anyway. Yeah, nope, I agree. And it was, it, it is shocking to me. I mean, they, it was kind of a typical Ben don't break, you know, to, to throw out, you know, terms that people like to use, right? Because they gave up a touchdown on the first drive and then they adjusted and they gave up three field goals. And they were decently, I mean, it was 243 yarders, and I forget what the third one was. The only reason I remember they were 43 because that was his jersey number. Um, yeah, that's right. But it was 243 yarders and then something else. So you gave up three field goals. Okay. Give up three field goals. I, I mean, I don't necessarily have an issue from a scoring standpoint with the defense. There's a lot of other issues I have with the defense. But from a scoring standpoint, if you can't score more than 16 points as an offense, you're in huge trouble anyway. Because again, two of your three lowest scoring games are at home against yes. Marshall and Stanford. Stanford was giving up 32 points a game coming in. And, and you didn't even get 14, half of that. 14 points. Yeah. And one was a bomb. Right. Right? I to mean, a guy one, who had never caught a ball before. Right. That's not even a drive. I mean, that, that was, it was a bomb. That was not even a drive. Now, they should have gone back to that. But and they didn't. Yeah, but that's the other thing is they didn't even go. They, I don't even think that he played after that. I think Brian said he had like two other snaps, but they're both run plays. Like okay. so, basically no. I mean, he wasn't in on a pass play. I don't think, and that's a huge problem. Yeah, you know, he was wide open on the two times that he was targeted. He was wide yeah. open. But again, was there some execution? Yes, most of the execution. Like if that you're really gonna fault probably goes to Drew Pine, you know, overthrowing Braden Lindsay in the in the end zone. A little bit more touch, a little more air under that first ball to Tobias Merriweather, and it's a touchdown. Now, they did end up scoring a touchdown after that anyway, but still, it's, you know, it's most of the execution did seem to fall on the quarterback, but that's going to happen when you only complete 48% of your passes. You go in completing 72%. You were saying this earlier, and I agree. That was my biggest issue. Was this going to be because he had a 50% completion percentage coming into this season in the limited time that he had played last year? Yeah. Was he going to turn the ball over too much? Sure. Was he going to be a low completion percentage guy? But he came in and he lit it up right away. You know, and if he makes a few of those throws, it, at least that line and the scoreboard looked different the other night. But just to me, again, it's still the bigger picker picture operation. Of, uh, of the offense. We got another super chat. Freeman's comments of needing to work on getting this program where we want it to be. We were almost exactly where we wanted to be. We need to take the next step forward instead of backwards. Can't disagree with that. I mean, from where they were, if they just if they just stayed where they were, team's five and one. Yeah. They're five and one right now. If they just stayed where they were. And we were talking about, you know, Marcus Freeman could be the guy to make him take the next step and all these different things. Well, they definitely took a step backwards for a multitude of reasons, apparently. But if they would have just stayed where they were, that's not exactly where you wanted to be. You, he, he did use the word almost. So, I, oh, I think it's a he. I'm, I'm extrapolating. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but absolutely correct. Almost exactly where they wanted to be. And they have regressed big time. Big time. Yeah. I had something I was going to say, but I'm sure I'll get to it later. (laughs) (laughs) 
Milton Fan 15. Vince, do the caveman voice for Tommy Reese play calling. This is an easy one. <laughs> but we're going to just run it up the middle. It just makes so much sense. We're just running between the tackles. We're so much better than they are. We run right between the tackles. It'd be great. Hit the like button if you would on your way out. Subscribe, rate, review. Great to have you here today. Hopefully, we have a good week ahead of us. Vince? Have fun on the show tonight. I will talk to you Wednesday. Yes, sir. I'll be there. All right. Sounds good. Ivy Nation Sports Talk. We'll talk to you later. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.